hope you enjoy this message from St. Martin C3, a location of C3 Church, Christchurch. You've joined us this morning, if you're visiting or or new, uh, in a series called Discipleship Explored. Here at St. Martin C3, we long to see Christ transforming our lives and transforming those around us. It's our vision. And then we have this mission. It's the activities that we do that help us do that. And that's to love and serve God together as a church community. To serve and reach others, everybody in our life, but especially the St. Martin's neighborhood. And to make and grow disciples. It's the final part of that mission that we are focusing on at the moment. Becoming disciples of Jesus. Now, if you haven't done it, we recommend you do the self-assessment survey to track you on your journey. We created this survey looking at what discipleship is is looking like in our life. And we're grateful for those who've done it. We've been able to see some overall results uh, from where our church is at and what, where we think we probably need to head this year. And so we're uh, taking that all in. But this is as much as anything for you. You get an email back if you do that survey. It's, it's via that QR code. Or you can go to our website under events. Go to stmartinc3.org slash events. And you'll see it there. And you'll get an email that'll tell you all your responses. And then at the end of the year, November 24th, mark it in your diary. Come that day. Because we'll do it again to see how we are going on that journey. So, last week we looked at our relationship with God and saw how our connection to the Holy Spirit and our commitment to God is central to our discipleship. If I were to ask the average Christian what it means to be a disciple, I think most people would say, well, that's it. It's about having a close relationship with God. If me and God are good, then my discipleship is sorted. Which, you know, you might think is fair enough. I think it's a little bit like saying, if I eat good food, then I will have good health. It's kind of true, but however we know, good health is about more than just a wholesome diet. We also need exercise, we need rest, and we need to look after our minds. In the same way, we see that our relationship with God is central to growing as a disciple. However, there's more to this journey. Right? There's more to it. We also need to have good relationships with ourselves, with other Christians, and with the world we are bringing God's love to. That's why we're encouraging us in our discipleship to focus on four relationships, as you see up on the screen. Our relationship to God, our relationship to ourselves, our relationship to other Christians, and our relationship to the world. Today, we want to explore what it looks like to have a great relationship with other Christians. Here's the main point, in case we get a bit lost as we go, and you're like, oh, what are we talking about again? Here's what we're talking about. A great relationship with other Christians is an expression of our love for God and aids our discipleship in all other areas. A great relationship with other Christians is an expression of our love for God and aids our discipleship in all other areas. See, we often talk about the Great Commission to go and make disciples. However, there's another equally important saying of Jesus that we need to remember. It's not the Great Commission, it's the Great Command, right? Uh, Matthew 22, 34 to 40 says it. 
says, but when the Pharisees heard that he had silenced the Sadducees, that's Jesus had silenced them with his reply, they met together to question him again. One of them, an expert in religious law, tried to trap him with this question. Don't you love questions which are actually traps? And he says, teacher, what's the most important command in the, commandment in the law of Moses? Jesus replied, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and all your mind, as we just sang about here. He said, this is the first and greatest commandment. It is. But then he says, the second is equally important. Love your neighbor as yourself. The entire law and all the demands of the prophets are based on these two commandments. The greatest commandment is to love God. Yet the second is equally important. To love the people who God has made. What Jesus means is that if you love God, then you will show it in the way that you love others. This is true of everyone. But before he dies, Jesus narrows his focus. He goes and washes his disciples' feet on his final night with them. And he tells his followers that part of the distinctive nature of being a disciple is the love they show for others. He tells them this in John 13, verse 34. So now I am giving you a new commandment. Adding one. Love each other. Just as I have loved you, you should love each other. Your love for one another will prove to the world that you are my disciples. See, a special part of being a disciple is the complete relationship that Christians have with each other. If you look actually at the New Testament, that command, love one another, basically the major thrust of the New Testament is unpacking that one command. All they talk about, all they do is to wrestle with what does that look like. In every letter, they're showing what it look like, looks like. Paul will say things like, I want to know you are standing together with one spirit and purpose, fighting together for the faith which is the good news. Peter will say that he uh, wants to see people being harmonious, sympathetic, loving, compassionate, and humble. Be tender-hearted. Keep a humble attitude. James will talk of how we cannot praise God with our tongues and curse people who are made in his image. We should instead be, be peace-loving, peace gentle at all times, and willing to yield to others. John will go straight for the jugular and say that if you don't love other Christians, then you don't even know God. We go through uh, even more of these in our devotion notes, but to be honest, we could have done 40 days of devotions on this one topic. It is just everywhere in the New Testament. Love one another. It's one of the great uh, scriptural emphasis that you will see. It's an important part of being a disciple of Jesus. It's what we must do. So we then have to ask the question, what does good discipleship look like in this area? What does it look like to have a special relationship with other Christians? Well, I think here's three things for you. Number one, it looks like meeting together. Number two, it looks like showing love through warmth, encouragement, and forgiveness. 
Number three, it looks like serving them with your resources, such as spiritual gifts, time, and money. And just think about these three areas for a moment. How are you doing? These are kind of like the basics. How are you doing in these areas? Meeting together. Do you prioritize meeting with other Christians? It's not just about coming to church every Sunday. But if you want to love someone, you need to know them and spend time with them. How can you show sympathy and compassion if you don't actually spend time with others? I talked with someone once who told me that their experience of church changed when they, thought they stopped thinking of coming to Sunday as just a duty, something that they had to do, but as an opportunity to connect with God and grow closer to other Christians. Then they realized that they couldn't miss it. They knew that that was something that they wanted to be part of. And today we're giving you a great opportunity to meet with other Christians. We're going to have a picnic together. And we'd encourage you to stay after the service. You know, the pool will be open, uh, the barbecues will be going. I think we even have a tug of war rope. Uh, we'd love you to stay with us, get to know some people, spend some time together. That's the, the first area. I saw some people perk up at the tug of war rope. They're like, oh, I can finally show what I'm made of. Uh, number two, the second thing that we can do here to show that we love others is show that love through warmth, encouragement, and forgiveness. It's not always easy to do in church, right? I want to do a little survey for a moment. I want you to think about the number of churches that you have attended for longer than a year in your whole life. Think through your whole life. How many churches have you attended for longer than... I see some people just going, one. <laughs> awesome, great, fantastic. You guys are amazing. But for some people, it's more. I was doing a count the other day of the number of churches uh, I've been involved with in the 43 years of my life, and the number is nine, nine different churches uh, from um, City New Life and Christchurch, you know, Majestic. Uh, when I was born, I don't remember much of that one. I was only there for, for four years. Uh, all, all over the place, to Nelson, to Auckland. I, I spent a few years in the northeast of England, uh, in Middlesbrough, England, where Vicky is from. If you ever want to know what that place is like, you could talk to Vicky. Uh, we can talk about being a teasider, right? Yeah, so some time there, and um, then to a Baptist church in Birmingham, and then finally went all the way back to Christchurch. Okay, so what about you? Who's been involved in less than five? Show me your hands. Less than five churches. Yeah, a number of people. Great. Faithful people. Excellent. Who's been involved in, uh, say, keep your hand up, more than five? You've been involved in more than five? Okay, what about anybody more than ten? More than ten? Oh, one? Yeah, uh, more than fifteen? No? Okay, so we seem to be in the zero to ten. All right, here's the next question. Who has ever been hurt, like significantly hurt, by one of those churches? Yeah, can I say a show of hands? Are my hands up? <laughs> I have. Who's been significantly? Yeah, a number of us. We're at least keen to say that. Sometimes it doesn't feel like a nice thing to say. We're in church. You know, it might have been the leadership. It might have been people in the church. And I've been hurt by more than one of those churches. There's no such thing as a perfect church. And just in case you thought you'd found it, this is not it either. We're all fallen people, 
and we make mistakes. I know I get things wrong all the time. And I'll try my best and apologize in advance for my own shortcomings. But that's why we need to practice forgiveness. That's why we need to practice having courageous conversations. And by the way, can I praise this church for a second? I found people here are really good at those conversations. At being able to say, you know, something was, I was hurt by something. Or even I made a mistake and I need to make it right. It's so good to see. We need to practice that though. But an interesting thing I have found amongst the ways those churches sometimes have got it wrong is that I found people in each of those churches that I love. Every single church has given me amazing friendships, amazing relationships with others. And in fact, this year I'm making a bit of an effort to reconnect with some of those people. I had a really great conversation for uh, over an hour with some friends in, in uh, Southern Coalfield in Birmingham. And I had another great email exchange recently with someone uh, from Middlesbrough. And that was so warm and encouraging. It was so good to remember those friendships and reconnect. One of them actually shared with me uh, a miraculous intervention that experience that built my faith. Uh, their son, this is not part of the sermon, but their son actually went diving into shallow water and broke his neck. And he, was, he actually broke it right up the top and he was paralyzed in that moment from the neck down. And they gathered around him and they prayed and others uh, in their network prayed and they found within three days, I think it was, uh, that his, he began to get feeling back and he slowly got more and more feeling back, and now he's back to 100%. My faith just grew just from hearing that story, being surrounded by other people. But that's for us. We need to, to practice courageous conversations, forgiveness, and kindness. It's hard. It's hard to do. But the fruit is well worth it. The third area we talked about is serving other Christians with your God-given gifts, time, and money. Oh, I love this church. I love the way people serve and give to make services happen and to make ministries and missions happen. People use their creativity and talents to serve others. Uh, late last year, uh, one of our dear church members, Stephen Booth, died. Stephen faithfully served in the kitchen for many years. And I had a conversation with him last year, talked about, hey, Stephen, we just love what you do. And we love you. And he told me, he said to me, he said, well, look, here's the deal. He said, I'm not good at speaking in front of a group of people. He said, I can't lead a small group. <laughs> and you don't ever want to hear me sing. <laughs> but he said, one thing I can do is I can serve. I kind of feel like that's part of my purpose. And if I can just get in and serve, then I'm doing what God's called me to do. And I heard that and I thought, that's an attitude for every single person. We should all have that. I should have that. Others should. We can serve others. We can help them in simple ways. We can help them when they are, are hurting. Uh, one thing that we do, and I love seeing us do, is something called the scaffold ministry, where someone is sick or uh, they have surgery or a new baby or a bereavement. Members of our church will cook them the meals for two weeks. It may seem like a little thing, but the amount of love it shows is phenomenal. You know, they say there are five love languages, right? Words of affirmation and physical touch and all of those. I'm convinced that there's a sixth. 
and it's food. That is the sixth love language. And I think when I see people giving food to others, maybe it's just me, I go, that's love right there. That's fantastic. And you're always welcome to join our team, but I, I just love seeing that. It's, it's fantastic. They recently, uh, or it was a few years back now, did a study of 5,000 Christians. And they found that if you feel like a mature Christian, then the next step in your discipleship is probably not our next sermon series. Gathering together and having input is important, but they found that actually it's secondary to want to grow in Christ. If you want to grow in Christ, just having more input is secondary. If you want to go to the next step, then what they said has to happen, what they showed through the study must happen, is you need to use what God has given you to serve others. As you serve others, that's how you will move forward in your relationship. So, we want to meet together. We want to practice warmth, love, and, and forgiveness, and, and we want to serve. That's our discipleship journey, and maybe there's something there for you. Maybe even through that, you see an area that you need to grow. But there's a, another level to our relationship with others that I want us to think about this morning. Consider this. Loving others has a dual effect. Firstly, as we've just seen, it is discipleship. You are doing what Jesus taught. You are loving one another. You are loving your neighbor as yourself. However, there is a second effect. When you love others, other Christians, it is how you grow in your discipleship. Finding wholeness in your relationship with others, well, that is going to help every other relationship. As you draw closer with other Christians, you can grow in your relationship with God. You can grow in your relationship with yourself. And you can grow in your relationship with the world. How? Think about this for a second. When Jesus sat down with those disciples and he said, I give you a new command. As I have loved you, so you should love each other, one another. And that's how the world will see you are, going to, you are my disciples. Think about who was in that room. Think about what was about to happen for them. The mission that Jesus was about to send them out on. All that they were going to face. Public debates, beatings, figuring out what it looked like to be a follower of Jesus. How to build a new community. It would be tough at times. But they could do it because they did it together. There is a power that having other people in our lives gives us. Especially when we commit to a different kind of relationship with them. Different than the ordinary kind of relationship. Deeper than what we've seen before. I remember once being in a class about leadership, and they showed us this graph. They said, let me show you how leadership growth goes. This has been studied and proven. They said, leadership growth goes like this, and they wrote it up on a whiteboard, and there was a steady incline based on age. And they said it goes up and up and up until the age of 37. Who here is younger than 37? Yeah, well, you guys still, you're doing this, upward growth. Uh, who's older than 37? Okay, right. Prepare to be depressed or maybe... <laughs> when you get to 37, what they found is that the leadership ability of people just plateaued and then gradually dropped off. But that was only one group. That was group A. There was a second group, Group B, whose leadership ability, once they got to 37, kept on going. It kept on growing. What was the difference between Group A and Group B? 
The only difference between group A and group B is that group B got themselves a mentor. They got themselves someone else who could come alongside them, who could show them how they're growing really well, and could help them then grow to the next level in their relationship, in their leadership ability. Involving yourselves in relationships that allow you to grow is important. But it's not an easy thing to do. It's countercultural. Henry Cloud, in his book, The Power of the Other, points out that our assumption that we can solve all our problems is not accurate. He says this, and I think it's going to come up on the screen behind me as well. He says, the power of yourself, you know those messages that say everything you need is within yourself. He said, the power of yourself messages are overstated. A closed system does not get energy from the outside. He says, for me, one of the most infuriating phrases is, you can't love others until you love yourself. Well, if a car is out of gas, it can't fill itself. We need other people in our life to fill us up so that we can love others. Empty people cannot love themselves. Love begins by receiving love. We cannot do it all on our own. We can't all of a sudden, you know, there's a certain amount of input that we can then grow in, and this is true of our discipleship as well. We can get things that help us. But until we have others who can love us and can love us deeply, we won't grow to that next level in our relationship with God. I mean, think about it. Where would Frodo have been without Gandalf? Right? Where would Luke Skywalker have been without Obi-Wan? And Harry Potter without Dumbledore? I mean, Anakin Skywalker rejected the leading of his mentor, and look where that led him. Proverbs 28, verse 26 in the message says, If you think you know it all, you're a fool for sure. Real survivors learn wisdom from others. If you want to grow, then you need to surround yourself with others and allow them to help you to grow. And that requires something that most of us struggle with. Maybe most of us are scared of vulnerability. We've all grown up with the message that we need to do things by ourselves. We must show that we are strong and capable people. The thought of going to someone and working through the weakest areas of our lives, okay, I'm happy with meeting with others, being loving, but oh, that's a whole other level. It's more than we can handle. It may be what we most need. Rick Warren says this. He says, you can go through life with one of two choices, pretending like you've got it all together or getting it all together. But you'll never get it all together as long as you pretend you've got it all together. And you're never going to get well, get healed, get rid of that area that's bugging you in your life until you talk to somebody about it. There needs to be some vulnerability where we choose to surround ourselves with the right people. It's the kind of vulnerable community that the Bible most encourages. Ephesians 4 verse 21. So stop telling lies. Let us tell our neighbours the truth. For we are all parts of the same body. Imagine if we could find the people we could tell the truth to. Someone in our life we could be honest with about our doubts. We could be real about our sins. We could tell them, well, we felt God saying to do something, but we disobeyed or we just put it to the side. We want to encourage you to find those people in your life. 
Find the ones that you can actually be truly honest with. Part of that starts, I think, with our connect groups, people you meet with regularly, people you can encourage and people you can serve and can serve you, and those you can be wisely vulnerable with. And that's the key, wisely vulnerable. It's not about sharing your whole life with the next person you meet down at the supermarket. It's about being wise with your vulnerability, not oversharing and dominating all the group's attention, but sharing enough so that people know what God is doing in you and how they can encourage you and pray for you, then allowing them to do the same. See, those who grow in life have harnessed a superpower. It's the power of feedback. They actively sought feedback and a close relationship. They choose to find someone who knew more than them and give them feedback and help them grow in the area they were weak. I've got to tell you, there are times when others have given good feedback to me stand out. Whether it's uh, the way that I interact with other people, my posture, my poor choice of words, I can easily recall much of it. One reason is that it usually stings a bit when someone gives you honest feedback. I felt like I was doing everything well, but then I was able to see where I'd missed it. It's like someone pointing out that you have a big clump of sauce on your face, you can't help but feel a little bit embarrassed by that, right? But I've got to tell you, when someone tells me I have a big clump of sauce on my face, I'm embarrassed, but I'm really grateful because I don't have to walk around with that anymore. The reason it stands out is because I'm grateful for the opportunity to grow. They've helped me to see what I could do better. Uh, I used to work in a space with cubicles, and um, on one side of me was actually this pretty girl named Joanna, so I married her. And then on another side was another youth worker friend of mine. And, I, and one day he heard me on the phone and he said, can I tell you something? And I said, yes. This is a good way, by the way, to do feedback. Ask them first. Don't just tell them. Uh, can I tell you something? He said, yes, you can tell me. He said, I've noticed that you do small talk really well with people on the phone. But then you kind of get to the point where you want to talk about what you want to talk about, and you have this little phrase you say. You say, hey, listen, let's talk about this. And he said, when you say, hey, listen, it actually comes across as quite rude. And it comes across as though that you weren't really interested in what they were saying, hey, listen to me now. And I felt like I had sauce on my face. I felt like, oh, gosh, I've been unconsciously doing that for a long time. But I appreciated him bringing it up with me. I now knew so I could improve. I don't say, hey, listen to people anymore. I don't think I do. If I do, come tell me. Let me know. A note on this, though. Growth only happens in the right environment. We need to treat other people's vulnerability with a great deal of care. You need to build a relationship filled with trust and positivity. It needs to be a constructive environment, one that's more, uh, more filled with encouragement than it is with criticism or unsolicited advice. They uh, did a study and they found that people need uh, six pieces of positive feedback to one constructive piece of feedback. And that doesn't mean every time you talk to someone, you're counting off in your head, one, two, three, four, five, six. Great, now I can tell you what I really want to tell you. It just means that you try and make sure that the environment is one of trust. The environment is one of love. It's one of grace. And then you can bring the truth in. And then that brings growth. 
Begin by getting involved in a connect group. But don't stop there. Look for other relationships where you can go even deeper. Work with people to grow in your discipleship. I heard of one couple who would go out for dinner once a month with another couple and work on their growth. They would talk openly about their personal and professional goals and how they were going. And they said that relationship filled them with so much joy and meaning they've learned to think about every conversation as an opportunity for growth. Maybe it's time to get together one-on-one with someone else. Say once a week for a month, work on an area of growth together. It might be that you look at these four relationships and you go, you know what, I see someone who's got this great relationship with the world. They're going after it. They are doing what God has called them to do. Their their mission heart just bubbles over. Their desire to see the kingdom come is strong. I want to work with them and say to them, you know what, I I just don't have that same heart. Can I come to you and let you know how I'm going to be doing this? And then that person might in return say, wow, the way that you hear from God, it's awesome, it's amazing. I want to hear from God the way you hear from God. Let's work together on that. Let's help each other, carry each other's burdens. Love one another. We've been thinking about exactly how to do that, and we're going to keep on thinking about how to do that. And maybe there's some structure in there where we try and help that that happen. But I think actually it's got to come from us. We've got a sense there's a value around loving each other and making sure that we're fostering those relationships ourselves. We're going to keep encouraging it, but we want to encourage you to be involved in a connect group and then see if there's someone you can maybe go deeper with. When a person brings encouragement, it changes our brain chemistry. It gives us hope, energy, and courage. It fills our tank. And I've seen the power of this in my own life. One day I was struggling with something that was really big for me. And I opened up to a leader, a revered leader, and I I felt very humbled doing so. I didn't usually talk to him, but as I did, it helped a lot. I can't even remember one thing he said to me, but I remember feeling like he understood that he'd been there too. And that was enough for me to continue and for me to grow. We all need that in our life. So, as we conclude this morning... Let's consider how God is speaking to us today. And I just have a few questions for us to consider. I'm not going to stand. We're just going to stay seated, but have a think about these things. If you could grow one way in your relationship with others, other Christians, what would it be? Is it through meeting with other Christians more? Showing love, forgiveness in your relationship to other Christians, serving them? Here's another question. If you had someone you knew would respond perfectly to your vulnerability, what would you tell them? What would you talk to them about? Last person. No, last question. What person or group in your life would you like to invest in more?
Thanks for listening to this week's message. To learn more about our church, visit c3chch.org.